Sports show and sport is starting to creep back into the reality of life, but it's always in Sean's heart. From me, Frank Murphy, and my producer, Jerry Grogan, until next time, only remembered is the anthem for now, but we will remember and go into a brand new week. Stay safe, stay washing the old hands, and we'll all get through. story will the line hold will it scatter and run shall we at last be united in glory only remember for what we have done only remember You're listening to the World Football Programme with all the latest updates from both local and international football.
Good morning, WA. I'm Sean Kelly. I'll be with you for the next two hours uh, with the World Football Programme. Thanks to Frank and Jerry for another Celtic Ramblings. Terrific uh, show from the boys there again. And a very touching tribute to the Anzacs uh, at the end of the show there. Um, uh, very touching tribute by the the public of w, or WA and Australia to be out on their driveways as well this morning at 6am. Um, yeah, big effort by everybody. Um, in the studio with me is Don the Isolation King Evans. Don, good morning. How are you? Yeah, very well, Sean. And uh, yes, I think I am coronavirus free. I'm pretty sure of that. And uh, and hopefully all our football people out there are uh, in the same position. But uh, yeah, weird times at the moment. But we're getting there. I think slowly, slowly, this fantastic community in Western Australia is rising to another challenge. And, very uh, resilient. Yeah, we're, we're, we don't go down easy, mate. So uh, it's, Absolutely. Uh, it's good to see. And people, you know, playing playing by the the rules, uh, sticking to the isolation message, and our premier is, uh, I think, leading us very well. Oh, absolutely! Look, and, yeah. and I had um, the sports minister on a couple of weeks ago. Mm. Um, yeah, very supportive of him, and the whole cabinet's doing well. But I think Mark McGowan's grown as a leader in this time. He certainly has stepped up to the mark, Sean, and I think um, you know the the best part about it is um, we're not getting over communicated uh, by our our local premier. We're getting communicated when we need to, and important yeah. information and the way it's been passed on, um, pe- we're getting it. We actually understand. The Absolutely, and I think look the the community spread. There's been some talk about the the figures being skewed because some people have it and not been recorded. You know that that's going to happen. Mm. Um, the whole idea of this is is to flatten the curve, not to defeat the curve. And I think, you know, it's going to be around for a while, which is, you know, part of the problem. And, uh, you know, the running fearful of it is not the the answer. We've got to be smart about it. We've got to be educated with it, which is, you know, what we're doing. Um, In news, really, there's not an awful lot going on other than Belarusia. Um, it's still going on and picking up a great Australian following. That super Team Slutsk is just definitely uh, <laughs> songs. Oh, look, my team Energetic were, were started off well. They had a bit of a slump, but they should be in for a win this weekend, right. so we're hoping they'll, they'll go okay. Um, and Slutsk have had a real resurgence and their, their fan base is very largely Australian now, so that's can, interesting. Can you see satellite clubs happening in Western Australia or, or in Australia? I'm absolutely certain if the Metro Leagues, there, there will be an FK Slutz turn up. So it'll be very interesting. Um, in other news, obviously, during the week, we, we had the anniversary of the sad passing of Dylan Tombides. Yeah, uh, very, very touching week for the family. And uh, again, you know... Uh, it doesn't get easier with each year. It's um, a reminder of a beautiful life, and uh, and you know, for all of us that uh, uh, have have DT thirty eight in our hearts, um, it's a time to reflect and see if there's things that we can do to assist the family in uh, keeping that found fantastic foundation alive, healthy, and well during uh, tough times. Absolutely. Now we've got on the show today uh, Greg Farrell, who is a small business owner with West Coast Futsal, who are a sponsor of the club, uh, of the radio station rather, who um, in struggle town well and truly at the moment, but hopefully things will um, ease off very shortly and they'll be able to get back to business. Um, he's also, you know, in his spare time when he's not involved in football, he's involved in football mm-hmm. with the Redbacks mm-hmm. and um, just an all-round good guy. So we'll be talking to him 
Um, we'll follow that up with Daniel Garb, who also has a very much changed life, um, the former Fox Sports commentator, um, who is also a DT38 ambassador. So we'll talk to him about DT38 and his role as an ambassador. And life after Fox. Life mm. after Fox and, and the future of um, football journalism in this country because, you know, not the best time in the world to be renegotiating your, your TV deal. It's um, Yeah, I, I think there are uh, worrying times with the Fox contract uh, not being um, fulfilled and clubs not, uh, not getting their payout, which um, it was pretty much their lifeblood uh, for survival for most of the A-League clubs. And, uh, Absolutely. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, who, who else could rise as a uh, competitor for the broadcast rights. Because the world, as we keep saying, the world it's, has changed. It's a different place. Um, Then we'll follow up with Dean Evans, who's the captain of Florida Athena. Um, Lots going well for Dino at the start of the year, and all of a sudden... Uh, the whole rug's been pulled away from him, so we'll catch up and see how he's going and yeah, he's his still hopes on his honeymoon, mate. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's one good thing, isn't it, that he's on his honeymoon still. But, that's it. Um, yeah, look, not good for anyone whose businesses revolve, revolve around football. Yep. Um, and then we finish it off with a bit of a, a fan fest for Don and myself with one of the, the glory greats in Combutzianus. Oh, I think we might need two hours to talk to Con, uh, but we'll we'll try to cram in as much as we can in that uh, twenty-five minute spell we got with him. He's just uh, he's he's just such a knowledge, knowledgeable football man and passionate. Loves the game. Oh, without a doubt, he is, and you know, one one of the best dead ball specialists in the world. Never mind Australia, but you know, we'll. We will go on with that um, later on as we as we go through the show. Um, now, in, in other news, um, local news and, and breaking news through there was the state league or the sorry, all of the um, standing league committees have been summoned to Football West next week. Um, they're looking at a staged recovery and a, and a return to football. Um, so that'll be interesting. Yeah, it's it's going to be more than interesting. It's going to be like, wow, how how is this going to actually work? And uh, we've got some great people in those committees, and I'm sure along with the, um, the decision makers at Football West, um, that they'll come up with the plan that um, sees our kids out there enjoying kicking footballs again. And uh, it's just going to be. Uh, and I, look, I think the isolation part of it is probably going to be. Um, an important cog in that wheel, Sean, and uh, ha- having you know supporters and parents and that just you know basically f- following whatever rules are set. That um, you know no no crowding, no grouping, just stay open and let the kids run around and stay healthy. And oh, absolutely! Ball. And look, there's there's lots of things to be considered. And, w- and when we talk to uh, Greg, we'll go through some of those things because he's uh, you know in, in a club that we're looking to be part of that resurgence. Yep. Um, and there's yeah there's. It's not just as simple as going back out there. And I, I think, you know, people have got this very simplistic view. Mm. Um, I know that there's been some things on Facebook last night with Campbell Ballantyne um, in the Amateur Standing League Committee role who's been canvassing people's opinions and there's been lots of opinions on that already. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just interesting to see how we go forward. Mm. Um, you know, I know uh, in one local park, um, the local, local constabulary had a chat with a... a a group of people who thought it was fine to go around coaching their kids um, during the, the lockdown. So it happens and, you know, there's always someone looking for an edge somewhere. 
Yeah, look, I think um, the word normality is what people are always um, wanting to get back to. Um, I think the new normal is going to be a little bit different than what we uh, accepted as... It's going to be a whole new normal. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we're going to get on the phones to uh, Greg Farrell and we'll be back after these. a junior trainee at Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron. I am the fourth generation of our family business. Oswest Fencing is built on 50 years of experience, creating unique fencing and gates and servicing the West Australian community. Let us help you secure and refurbish your home or business with customised materials and automation made to laugh. Ring us on 9258 6822 to discuss your ideas or visit our online galleries at oswestfencing.com.au. That's A-U-S-W-E-S-T fencing.com.au Station sponsor. Are you considering data and software development? From a simple website to custom office automation software. Phone Andy at Dataplats on 0414 263 938. That's 0414 263 938. Station sponsor. Hi, I'm Miranda Templeman. The world is a little different to us all right now. We may be learning to play football with our mates online, keep in touch through FaceTime and watch classic matches on Share TV. One thing that won't change is being able to listen to the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle. Your World Football team are in the studio every Saturday from 10am to 12pm. We appreciate your support. Stay safe, Australia. We're all in this together. Young Miranda there with a, whoops, I'm a, I'm a young Miranda there with a little bit of news for us all, which we all know about, and it's good to have a young lady on the line, and you know someone who's very much involved in in female football is Greg Farrell, who joins us this morning. Good morning, Greg. How are you? Good, gentlemen. How are you both? Good, mate. How are you holding up? <laughs> well, the, uh, the the isolation certainly has been interesting. Um, it's it's been a, a trying time, most definitely. Um, as somebody who doesn't mind a spot of his own company and a little bit of time alone, I, I've managed to, to get things done around the house and get some things that I needed to get done. But I'd say if it were having to go on too much longer, I'd, I'd start to be wearing myself a little bit thin. Yeah, look, it, it's... One of those things we were just saying before you came on that, you know, you, your life is completely involved in football because, you know, during the week you're, you're running West Coast Futsal and then at the weekends just because you haven't got enough football in your life, you, you're a coach with the Redbacks. Um, and it just, everything's just gone. How do you cope with all that? You know, the, the business, the, the, the social interaction you have through the club and everything else. Yeah, well, like I said, it certainly has been has been trying. Um, I've been trying to keep myself busy, still still doing work for for, for West Coast. Um, we've we, we've had to change a lot of plans that we that we had moving forward. But like, we were supposed to be taking teams over to a tournament in Madrid in in August September this year, and then um, into to Southeast Asia towards the end of the year, and then Japan early in 2021 so we've sort of had to put all of that stuff on the back burner but it in a way it's given me a chance to actually 
consolidate that stuff and yeah. make sure we do get all of the planning right. Um, it's it's also given me a chance to, I guess, reflect a little bit better on some of the things that we have done over the last few years that quite often get missed when you're, you're running from 9am till 10pm and never yeah. actually stop doing things. I think it's a good opportunity for businesses, and, and I've said this about the FA and the, the FFA the um, and W. WA football in general is that uh, it's a good time to strategize for committees to work together and think right how do we rebuild this what what works really well for us how do we see the future going and and really to just get a strategic focus on do those little housekeeping jobs that you hadn't done because you're too busy doing yeah certainly well I don't know if if you guys saw the um the interview with on on Opta Sport with the the six former Socceroos, mm. where they spoke about the fact that the, this time can be used by the different football associations to uh, be... I certainly exactly did. what you just said. Yeah. Um, oh, look, and I think... To be making sure... Sorry. The one, the one thing we all know is things like the NPL doesn't work. Rob Sherman's walked out on the development job. So this, what a perfect time to go, you know what? Let's, let's work out what we do when we go back, but in a newer frame and get the, the whole junior development and the, the frameworks through now, whilst not doing anything else. I mean, it's not like you're busy coaching or anything else. We could just work it out now because, you know, Rob Sherman going missing was a huge blow. Yeah. But we've got to use this time productively. Look, I, I think, uh, uh, Greg, the point that you made uh, regarding your business is reflection and uh, and and better planning. And, and I think everyone's in that mode now where everyone's sitting down and reflecting on their own personal businesses, mm. their own, how they operate their family uh, affairs like this. Yep. It's a real good time, but I think it's it's so important for um, the right people to be engaged now. Uh, as in, and I'm not saying the predecessors were the wrong people. Let's no. ju- let's just say maybe they were making it up as they went along. Yeah. And instead of sitting down with people who have been through the process of being professional footballers, being young fellas like the, like the, all the guests. But, on we, Fox. but what we can't do is turn the clock back to the 70s and 80s. No. What we've got to do is redefine what is now 2020s. Take take the elements that, yep. that made it work, and then um, you know, as you say, you know, put it in the current environment and bring a new picture a new day dawn for for our football and um yeah greg uh, I, I, i'm sure um you you know you, you'd be racking your brain and saying how can i make west coast futsal uh better and uh, when you come back you know out of the blocks after this uh, sort of um hiatus um you, you know your business will be better as well as you as a personal uh, development yeah well and uh, as as you've just touched on it's like i'm I'm the development manager, so I my brain sort of is always working on how can we make ourselves better, um, and and one of the biggest things for me is having good people and getting good people involved. Mm. Um, and my fiance Annie used to be the the female development officer at Football West, so I know the the, the hard work that goes on behind the scenes for everything that happens um, in, in in football in WA and even across the country. Um, but it's, as you just said, if we can 
use this time, and, and as the guy said in that Optosport pod, podcast, if we can use this time to be working out what we've done well but where we can improve, mm. then we haven't wasted it. And I think, mm. um, Sean, you just touched on losing Rob Sherman was an enormous thing, and I think it sort of speaks to the fact that we aren't in a great place as a game, that someone like him who, for the first time in, in, in a period of time, brought probably more of a, like not Australian, because he wasn't Australian, but yeah. he, he brought a, an approach to that job that sort of fit more with where we are as a nation. But I thought like, it was... Not, not that the... Not that the Dutch guys didn't do a good job, no. but I don't think they did things that fit with Australian football and with us as, as people, whereas he came in and from everything that I've read, including his, um, I guess, yeah. farewell letter, um, he had the best interest of the game. Oh, it looked, without a doubt, but I think, you know, again, like the Dutch came in and, and tried to bring in a Dutch or a Belgian influence within here with the coaches we had previously. Rob's come in, very English kind of approach to it, and in some ways just didn't get the Australian culture. But the thing that annoyed him most was the pettiness and the self-interest groups that are out there. That was not just clubs, that was associations yeah. and the, the layers of bureaucracy that we have. And I think it's quite interesting that he said, really, the FA, given the FFA, given how small Australia is as a football landscape, shouldn't be replicating the bureaucracy at state level. And that we're, you know, a lot of that money that could be used to develop kids is being used to pay CEOs for different states. And then you've got the internal politics and the, the factions that you have within Melbourne and, and Sydney and Perth. And, yeah. Yeah. It's well, just, and that, the political and landscape and is just a nightmare. And, and that then comes back to something that you said before that while we are in this isolation and we have time to reflect, the problem is quite often that that self-interest is going to win out more often than it doesn't. And the only way to really have change is to have some people or some input from yeah. independent. But I think um, you look at it from, from Don's perspective as a business, sometimes what you need to do is walk in, just clear the blackboard, there's sure. nothing on there, we come into it yeah, with nothing and we yeah. rebuild Clean it from place. the floor up. That's and right. that's, you know, from the foundations mm. upwards is, is the approach we've got to take. We yeah. can't say, yeah. oh, the NSL back in, yeah. you know, whatever, the JSA had it right, yeah. whatever. We've yeah, now got to no. go, look, there, there were some really good things about the NSL mm. and there were some awful things about it. And the last two years yeah. of the NSL were probably the best years of the NSL. And, you know, the JSA had some great things, but there was problems there as well. On that note, Sean, um, this this um, isolation and, and virus has actually taught uh, West Australians uh, to be more confident in themselves. Mm. And, and we as a state, as I say, are managing this so well. And the talk out there is basically like, to, you know, the eastern states are basically a, a burden on our back. All yeah. they do is take, take, take. They but, don't give. But now, I hate talking about AFL here, but yep. you look at what happened. Yep. Two hubs were, were put forward, South Australia and, and WA, because of the way they were handling it yep. and very clean states as far as that goes. Yep. And now, because it's 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 Victorian-centric, yep. they're all talking about going and playing out of Melbourne. Of course they are. Even though Melbourne's nowhere near... 
as clear as we are. So for football in yeah. Western Australia, I really do believe it's a time where we actually have to do what's best for Western Australia. Absolutely. As much as we are part yeah. of the national game and we want to help the national side and all that, to, to get WA right, we, we've got to look after football in WA first yeah. and, and well, set and it up the right way. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, well, and, and, and that's what you guys have just said is that that's spot on. It's the one situation... Like, I moved over here from Brisbane in 2015, and this is the first time that I we'll can say... Well, forgive you. <laughs> well, Western, well, it's one time I can say Western Australia <laughs> has benefited from its isolation yes. yeah. from the rest of the country enormously yeah. because you you look at the numbers in the other in the other states and, like, even the, like the border crossing between Queensland and New South Wales at the Tweed where mm. there are people who live just on the south side of the border but work on the north side... They've had enormous problems with all of the different situations that isolation has brought up, mm. whereas we've been able to sort of go, well, we're closing our border, mm. and immediately things got better. Yep. Um, so that isolation certainly has paid off in that sense. Certainly yeah. has. Um, a, a good article in the uh, Football WA uh, website that the, the boys put out regarding footballers struggling with depression during the COVID-19 virus uh, from uh, comments from uh, Tanya Oxtoby uh, on the world stage. Um, do you f- see any of that sort of filtering through in our local community or uh, are, are we able to, let's just say, um, stay in touch with all our people and keep the spirits high? Uh you definitely do see some of it. Um, I, I haven't seen anything that has been too extreme um, with with Northern Redbacks and, and with West Coast Futsal um, through the various competitions. We've put in different things to, to keep in touch with people. So with the, the Futsal, we've we've talked to the clubs and, and gotten them to maintain contact with their players and their staff and supporters. Mm-hmm. And then with Redbacks, we've sort of done a similar thing mm-hmm. The as the the senior playing group, they've got their Facebook group and and messenger chats and all that stuff. And we've, as the the, the coaching staff at Redbacks, we've sort of kept in touch with players and and just monitored how they're going. And Mm. I think one of the biggest things that's happened over the last few years is is mental health has become a much more uh, accepted part of society people know that yeah. there's not as much of a stigma about absolutely. it absolutely it's been completely um, destigmatized which is fantastic and we're talking and, about and, it and that's the most important thing that people actually yeah can, can well talk about it yeah and and then it, it means that people are checking on each other more so the mm. the are you okay movement all that sort of stuff mm. means that people are checking on each other more and of course with social media mm. people are posting and and you do you do occasionally see someone post something that you sort of think, "Oh, I wonder if they haven't haven't been keeping in touch or haven't haven't been doing certain things, and have we let this person slip through the crack?" And there's always going to be situations, but I think most, for the most part, um, people have been looking after each other pretty well. Absolutely. Now, looking forward to a, a recovery, a return to football, do you see any pitfalls? I'm, I'm looking at it from this perspective that we've got a lot of volunteers who 
may have lost their jobs or been furloughed. We've got a number of people like yourself who are rebuilding businesses when, when everything starts to go back. Um, and as much as we all want to go back and start kicking a ball around, it's not that simple. You've got to have the volunteers no. at the clubs to run the clubs. You've got to have the people back at Football West who have let a lot of people go. Um, so you've got people like yourself and I know a number of people in business who are working twice as hard now even though they're working from home um, who may not have the time to, to do all that background stuff that puts a team out there. Well, it's yeah, there's a lot of different facets to it. So obviously from the actual playing matches and, and league's perspective, the first thing has to be safety. So if if we are going to be going back in in June or July, whenever it does end up happening, mm. you like you're not going to have lots of spectators at games. Mm. Um, you're but, not going to be able to sit in in big groups. Yeah, um, and, and that in games. itself, even the bench. That in itself Sorry. is my concern because, you know, a lot of these clubs, financially, um, this couldn't have come at a worse time. You're, you know, ex- all your expenditure have gone out and your normal income streams, and even for amateur leagues, things like canteens and bars, a huge part of their fundraising and, you, you know, yeah. quiz nights and other things, you're still not going to be able to do them. So you're going to go back into a football season where you, you're financially poor anyway to start off with and then your ability to raise revenue streams sponsorship is going to be almost impossible you know unless you've got some really dedicated people to get sponsors Mm. it's going to be very very difficult and whilst the mechanics are going out there and kicking a ball around are great it's that the the financial constraints of putting a team out there and particularly when you look at state league and the npl men's the how their financial modelling works, you know, they're reliant on the the teams to turn or the, the fans to turn up, the bar to be running, the, the canteen yeah, to be running, functions happening, yeah, you know, like the, pe- people gathering. It's not just kicking a ball around. Yeah, it's the gathering of people. That's no. Well, and uh, I think from the from looking at what we are going to be doing moving forward, and, I, and I'm on the on the women's standing committee as well. So yeah, hopefully in the next week or so will be involved in some of those discussions hmm. but you but but I also think I don't think it's all doom and gloom like I think everything that you've just said hmm. quiz nights and the bars and the campaigns at clubs yep. they can operate they just have to be very specific in the way they do operate when they come back hmm. sort out sort out the lines and the spacing like they have done at Woolies in the last few weeks hmm. um, even in grandstands just make sure that people aren't Grouping in big groups, and yeah. I think it, it, it's easy to see everything really negatively. And oh my god, we're not going to have like I, I think sponsors are definitely going to be a big struggle. But yeah. with the like even quiz nights, I've seen quiz nights done on Zoom and on yeah. Face FaceTime and stuff. So there's always solutions. <laughs> like the, the other yeah. thing that we do need to do is make sure player safety and welfare is. Like if, so, if, if we get the 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 well the direction to go back and start playing in in yeah. three weeks, we're going to have players who Underdone. are not going to be ready. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then then you're talking about ACL injuries, especially yeah. in female athletes. Which and, leads and me injuries which wreck the season. Which leads me to a question from from a listener, and that is. Um, 
what program the Redbacks have in place specifically to keep the players motivated and fit for the restart of the WNPL? <laughs> so we have, um, obviously we've got our coaching staff and we've got uh, Brett Osborne is has been looking after the uh, physical aspects of our training sessions during pre-season. So he's then done uh, fitness programs for each of the players in our senior groups. Um, <laughs> how much of those programs have been being stuck to is anyone's guess. Like I know, like I said, we have been checking in on on individuals, and we have a fairly motivated and and sort of top level playing group. So they know that if they're not coming back at the right levels of fitness, then they're going to struggle to get into the team. Mm. Um, but it's it's also, like I said, when we are making the decisions on when to come back and how to come back, it has to be with those questions in mind and we need to make sure that even if the government says, yep, from the 1st of June you're allowed to start doing things, that maybe competition doesn't start till towards the end of June. Give people two or three or four weeks of training and then, so that we're not just putting pressure on players to get back and play. And then when we look at it, we're, we're talking about um, players going back um, and playing two or three games in a week and you're going, no, nah, you've only just come back from a very rapid or shortened pre-season and then we're going to ask yeah. players to play twice a week. Um, you know, you, you said about the injuries, it's, that's all that's going to happen. Yeah, I, th- I think the playing two games in some weeks is is probably not a bad idea. It's but feasible. Playing, playing three games in a week and playing games on consecutive days. Like a, a lot of players who who play futsal with me play in the the MPL or the state leagues for the men and the women. So they're used to playing multiple games on a weekend. Yeah, but for players who aren't. It's a very, very different physical change. Uh, so, but even with the futsal, I mean, you, you're talking about um, a much shorter time and a, and a different type of game where you're playing yeah, ninety it's a, minutes. It's a different in, intensity. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think the the idea of having a shortened season is, is definitely like everybody wants football and, and wants sport back. Yeah. But I think trying to jam twenty two games into twelve weeks is just going to lead to more problems yep. and, and cause individuals and clubs issues and, and injury. Yeah. No, but I, to- I totally agree. Individual perspective. Yeah. So I think, you know, look, and I know you're in the, the, the standing committee for the women and I know all the standing committees have been asked to come and see footballers next week. So it'd be interesting to see how that looks when we go forward. I'm going to talk to Dean Evans later on about um, from a player's perspective, you know, going and playing without any any fans been there, you know, it's it's a very very different game. I've I've watched a couple of those games, uh, the the last of the A League games where they didn't have anyone in the stadium, and mm. it's not it's not the same. As a, no, well, as a sorry. parent, I, you know, I yeah. want to go watch my son play. Yeah, and you know, if if somebody said to me, um, you're allowed to go, but you have to sit 
five seats away from the nearest person. You want to hope you're playing at Inglewood. Exactly, or even at Litter Stadium. I'd go up on the hill and, you know, so you just find yeah. a spot. And, then, and we're not getting big crowds at our games anyway, no. Sean, so I, don't, I really don't think the crowd part of it is, you know, is a threat. But, but then I'll throw this another way around. If, yeah. if we've got the state at a point where we have zero COVID yes. and there's no reported COVID for two weeks, three yeah. weeks, four weeks... Yeah. Are we at a point then where we go, tell you what, we're all right. Let's go back, everything back to normal and just with the border controls in place, use track and trace from then on if we do get one or two. It's going to be around. We've got to learn to cope with it. We can't run and hide. Correct. No, well, and that's, uh, I think, like the other thing is I had parents who, especially in Brisbane when it was wet, would come and watch games and they'd sit in the car if they had to if it Mm. was bucketing mm. down with rain yep. like you, you look at a lot of the fields um celebration park for is a perfect example mm. there's no reason why you can't sit up in a car yep. and, and watch, watch, a game. watch a game from mm. up there so yep. Yep. there's plenty of ways for people to do it and like you said if if people aren't sitting in big clumps mm. at the ground then there's no problem yeah there's no, no problem for 40 or 50 parents to be at games watching as long as they're not standing within mm a metre and a half or two metres of each other, then there shouldn't be a Actually, problem. We just have to have people being smart. And do you know how you make them go and sit in their cars? Mm. Hold up the linesman's flag. Oh, can anyone run a line for me? <laughs> <laughs> they'll, they'll all be in the car straight away. <laughs> is that oh, the secret, is it? Yeah, that's the secret, mate. always works for me. Um, yeah, you hold the flag up and everyone, everyone's gone missing. You know, I've seen six foot eight guys suddenly become invisible. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Usain Bolt's just gone across there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right, look, I think we, we could keep this discussion going for mm-hmm. ages. Um, look, it's great to catch up with you. We really appreciate your support of the radio station. Mm-hmm. And obviously, when your business gets back up and running, uh, you'll be at the forefront of the recovery because, you know, you can play um, futsal 24-7. Um, just before we close out, you mentioned, I mean, futsal's a very international game. Some of the places you mentioned are right at the centre of the COVID crisis, you know, Japan, Spain. Um, how, are they, how are they coping? Uh, well, I've got, I've got friends in, in those places who are coaches and that sort of thing. One of my, a very good friend, a, a coach who, incidentally, I've been, we've been doing some um, Instagram online live streams with with coaches and different yep. people for West Coast Futsal and we had Audrey on um, a couple of weeks ago he said Madrid obviously it's been a hot spot and it was one of the worst places hit mm. but the, he said most of the people are in really good spirits um, the, the problem came because and it's been the way a lot of the problems have come about the government didn't move quickly enough and enforce things like social distancing. Absolutely. And then when they when when they tried to, there'd been a lot of misinformation that it wasn't actually that bad, and people were believing the the Donald Trump sort of talk about how it's just like the flu, and and you don't need to worry about it. Where this thing spreads like wildfire, and mm. it, it's been a lot worse. So once once they got those things into the mainstream and people understood it, it was much less of an issue and it was similar in Japan. Mm. Um, another one of the coaches who I know really well just said the the information didn't get out to people quickly enough and, and they didn't enforce... Um, I guess oh, the, the, and obviously the, the Mr. McG- Mr. McGowan and WA government have learned the lesson. Um, 
Yeah, look, Greg, thank you for being on. Um, we will catch up with you again. I know um, we value your association with the station, so um, thank you, mate. Thank you very much, Jens. You have a good day, and um, just any servicemen and women out there, thank you very much for your service. Yeah, well said. Well said, mate. Okay, that was Greg Farrell from West Coast Futsal and the Redbacks and some very interesting points there about, you know, being future-focused and positive through this time and you use it as a benefit rather than as negative. Yeah, no. we, we talked about the Instagram quiz nights, mm. um, group of friends of mine and ourselves. We, we're regularly running these quiz nights. We, we started off with a Tuesday night or Wednesday night quiz night and now it seems to be... The gap seems to be going from a week to two or three days. It was just hungry for it, and it's just a laugh. Yeah, look, and nothing serious. No, no um, prizes. Bit of fun, but uh, yeah. what, what, one thing Greg did touch on there was good people uh, mm. in his organisation, and you know, and for me, it's all about good people now getting together and and being on committees, making good decisions for the benefit of all. So yep. having young people like Greg and, you know, and I'll just keep saying, you know, there's old wise heads around, like let's call ourselves in that category, Sean, but yep. uh, it's the young that have got the, the future uh, of football in their hands and they're the ones that we want to shape. Uh, Absolutely. Shape. Yeah, yeah. And look, yeah. and I know Campbell's got his detractors, but Campbell's in that group of people that's a, a young leader and... Yeah, he's... he's He's out there and he's uh, he, he listens to opinion uh, and he puts it out there so everyone can have a say. So Absolutely. That's, that's important. Yeah. No, look, and there's a lot of those guys now stepping up and, and taking up the reins, which is great. Yep. And that's what we need to see. All right. We've got uh, Daniel Garb coming out. Oh, before I go any further, yep. not only is it Anzac Day today, Don, yep. but it's also my 39th wedding anniversary. Oh, congratulations, young fella. <laughs> yeah. It's a, 39. Yeah, yeah. You've got a, I've got a couple of years on you. <laughs> yeah, just a couple, but yeah, I'm not doing too bad for a young fella. 39 years is, is quite an achievement in this day and age, I think, and thanks to Diane for putting up with me for so long. Uh, you, 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 you've got a, a real pearl there in young Di. Don't worry about that. Oh, I think she's a lucky one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll be back after this break with Daniel Garb, uh, who is uh, a journalist in football. From the dusty red soul plains I am the ancient heart The keeper of the flame I stood upon the rocky shore I watched the tall ships come For forty thousand years I've been the first Australian I came upon the prison ship Bowed down by iron chains I cleared the land, endured the lash And waited for the rains I'm a settler
There we go. That was just a tribute there for the Anzacs, just a little different from us. We are all Australian. And joining us on air now is another great Australian in Daniel Garb. Daniel, how are you? Good, thank you. That's a bit of a stretch, but I'm going very well. Thank you. No, no, just, you know... You, you are an extremely good journalist and, you know, we, we love listening to you and, and see you on the TV. Um, how are you going through the th through this um, crisis at the moment? Oh, I'm going all right. I mean, it's, uh, it's impacted us all enormously, hasn't it? So, yeah, I mean, I left Fox Sports uh, as it was kicking in, but uh, that's, uh, that, that's all right. That felt timing-wise, that it was a, a right time to, to move on. Fox has got some issues, obviously, which are on the record. So mm -hmm. uh, it was time to, uh, to move on and do something else. We'll just see this, uh, the virus out and then get back to, uh, to something else, hopefully still in football and sports media. But no, I'm doing uh, as well as possible at the moment. Plenty more people, I'm sure, uh, are battling more than I am. Yeah, it's just not a great time to be a sports journalist, though, is there? There's just nothing happening no, exactly right. I mean, it's, it's very, very quiet. So a lot of people are doing it tough, but it's the same in a lot of other industries. So oh, yeah. we'll just see it out. I mean, I'm sure it'll be uh, it'll be plentiful at the other end when everything's on together. Danny, you're you're one of the uh, favourite sons of uh, all, all the uh, people who loved watching Fox and uh, the, the sports <laughs> reports that you used to put out there for us all. And uh, mate, we uh, we know you'll be back bigger and better than ever. But um, it is a new world, and uh, but with new world comes new opportunity. I mean, how do you? see the the landscape of uh you know let's call it the competitors to fox and the the streaming that happens out there and who who, who do you see sort of popping up and saying mm, i'm interested in this a league and uh and broad getting the broadcast rights are, are there any out there that you come to mind who knows don i mean no no one really knew what optus was about before they clinched the epl rights. no one had a clue that they were in the running for for a right premium rights product like that, so no. you just don't really know. Um, look, Amazon, uh, all these other kinds of similar uh, networks are said to be interested to an extent. But to be honest, I foresee if Fox does get out of the contract, which does look more likely than not at this stage. Uh, if they, if that does happen then I, unfortunately I foresee some very difficult times for the A-League. Well, they won't, even if another rights holder comes in, regardless of whether it's an established organisation that we know at the moment or a new brand that comes in and wants to try and clinch some sports rights and use the A-League as a, a medium to doing so, there'll be an enormous financial uh, hardship that the A-League will, will suffer mm. immediately because there's no way they'll get a return on the $57 million that Fox is paying per annum right now. Socceroos and Matildas games, I think they could sell separately and, and do well on. I think Fox was doing pretty well on those. But A-League week to week, where it costs $80,000 to produce a game, around $400,000 to produce a, a round of football. Yeah. I just don't see how they'll get a return on that. So whatever way um, it's chopped up in the end, it's going to be a major setback for the code financially. I heard a podcast from uh, one of the other local radio stations with Tony Sage who was talking about people like Amazon, Netflix <clears throat> and some of those streaming services getting on board and, you know, whether or not that's got the same profile. I think being a, a glory man from, from old, um, we want SBS, say we want SBS, <laughs> which was the old shed chant. Um, 
Uh, yeah, look, it's it's quite interesting. Uh, the, it's the established media certainly has a presence that you know you you lever off, and and whilst Netflix is is popular, it's not as mainstream as as we'd like it to be. No, no, and that's the the big issue that organisations have to deal with. I mean, Rugby Australia has been in the same boat basically, whereby Fox has uh, you know offered a in their minds a minimal sum for the product, and, and Optus was apparently keen. But they're trading off then more of a mainstream a service which has, you know, the ability to promote into people's homes more readily uh, than Optus does right now. Um, and that trade-off to them was something that they deliberated on and, and weren't so sure on. And, and then coronavirus kicked in and now they're in enormous trouble as an organisation without anyone bidding for their rights. So football doesn't want to be caught in that predicament, but they might not have a choice. I mean, I can see football potentially going down the route of the NBL, whereby they actually produce their own TV product mm. and then sell it onto a TV network and divide the revenue up in a, in a contra-type deal, whether it's 50-50, I don't know what the actual uh, mechanics of the deal are, but they produce it themselves and then sell it back to someone. That's something that the FFA and the A-League might have to do. They may have to get creative in that sense um, and it's going to hit them a lot financially but they will be able to control their own product. Um, but it, it will be a huge blow to the players because you know the, the TV rights helps prop up clubs which helps pay the players and their salaries are going to be cut enormously as a result. And what happens in football when, that, when that's the case? Players all of a sudden go look at other options in other countries and take money there because they've only got a certain number of years to to, to maximise their earnings, and then, of course, the standard of football in Australia gets hit enormously and everyone suffers. But then I suppose this, this is not an Australia-centric issue. This is a worldwide issue. Um, when you look at what's happening in the UK, um, there's grave concerns for the, for the two lower tiers of English, the English Football League. Division 1 and 2, most of those clubs were, you know, a sniff away from bankruptcy, and now the coronavirus has kicked in. They're all struggling. Oh, enormously. And uh, they've got big issues there. I and mean, what they do have in, in England, though, is a guaranteed multi-million dollar uh, TV deal that comes in every single year. Um, in fact, more than that, multi-billion dollars when you consider uh, the international aspect of it. And they're yeah. going to have to think about the way in which they divide that money up so it doesn't just go the bulk of it to the Premier League clubs. They'll have to take a lot of that and, and put it down the... Uh, the pyramid in English football to keep those leagues alive and you'd be surprised if something like that didn't happen. They've got the luxury of a massive uh, pool of revenue and huge reserves of funds which the AFL has the benefit of as well. Yeah, uh, Other codes aren't as lucky and, and Australian football unfortunately is not in that position. And then when you look at it from, from the government spending, I mean the AFL and, and Associated across the, the states all get large influxes of money from government. So at a federal level, AFL get money. At a state level, in this state, AFL gets 12 mil, and I think we get a couple of hundred grand. And it's you know when you work it out on a per-player basis, it's, it's not fair, it's not equitable. No, it's not, and that's something that the FFA needs to get better at and have acknowledged they will get better at, which is uh, you know lobbying the government for, for more money. When you look at our participation numbers... yeah so strong and you look at the amount of football clubs we have around the country the government should be putting more money into football absolutely uh, we, yeah. haven't had, we haven't had those ties over the years have we because no it's not part of 
the cultural fabric of Australia. It hasn't been strong enough. And then, of course, we had the major setback, which was going to the government for $32 million for the World Cup bid for 2022. It registered one vote, and that put us all the way back again. Mm. A lot of that goodwill that was starting to be generated and the connections with government, unfortunately, was affected enormously because that World Cup bid uh, turned out to be um, a bit of a disaster all up. So they've had to start again, if you like. And, and they are getting better at it, but... Uh, we should be getting a far greater return and, and hopefully that will happen in time. Well, it's, it's an Australian principle that we all get a, a fair suck of the save, you know, and we're not, we're not getting that and that's the, the problem for me. Fair go. Yeah. That's, that's all we want and that's all we've ever uh, stated and, and I think state governments are, are stepping up a bit more than they yeah. used to and so are councils. Um, but, but the AFL are very – got all their political lobbyists in place. They're, yes. they're very politically savvy. Correct. As a code, we are politically naive. Naive, And yeah. we do not flex that yeah. muscle we have. Yeah. You know, with the, spec- with, with the numbers of people involved in the game as, mm. as fans and as parents of, mm. of children that play – we should be able to flex more political muscle than we do. So is there room for a, uh, a fella like uh, Andrew Forrest to come into our game and uh, get involved, even though he doesn't I'd like love it. him to. Yeah, so, yeah. but, he, but he's, not a, he's not a football man. That's the problem, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you, you Look, I don't mind if Gina Reinhardt wants to get involved. You know, I'm quite happy for anyone with, with, with the spondulics, with, get involved. We need the bags full. <laughs> yeah. uh, not, not. But we've got, we've got lots of wealthy people in football. We've had the lobbies, one of the, yeah. the wealthiest yes. families in the world involved. We've got plenty of other families that are have extreme wealth that are involved in football still yep. at, at certain clubs around the country. Mm. Perth's got an issue now because you know, no one's giving Tony Sage a chop out and that led almost to that, uh, what would have been more than shambolic cryptocurrency crazy. Uh, yeah. bid for the club, which was absolutely crazy, of course, and thankfully never came to fruition. But you can understand where Tony's coming from. I mean, oh, yeah. Um, and Perth there seems to be a void right now but you know at the national level and in other parts of the country there are some very wealthy people that are involved yep here here. now uh something that's near and dear to yourself and myself uh, danny is the dt38 foundation and uh um, let's just say a a real touching uh, tribute was up on the facebook site from uh, tracy lee and also from jimmy regarding the loss of their their beautiful boy on uh, april 18th um and also a um a, a, a reach out to uh, everyone in the football family to come out and support during tough times uh, via a $3.80 funding appeal that's up happening in the UK, £3.80 on the UK site and $3.80 here in Australia. Um, can, can you uh, let, let the uh, listeners out there know how important it is to get behind this fantastic uh, foundation? Yeah, well, I, I hope they do because, you know, we need to look after our own and, uh, and Dylan's story is one of the most tragic stories in the history of Australian football. That's not overstating it. Yep. I mean, he was just a quite wonderful generational talent who tragically was cut down in his prime, and that leads to uh, enormous suffering, which I've seen firsthand, and, and you have, Don, uh, yep. for the family, and it's very hard to take. And they've tried to channel that in the best way possible by setting up this foundation, which uh, obviously generates awareness for testicular cancer and also helps preserve... Uh, Dylan's legacy. The FFA and the Socceroos have been wonderfully supportive, as have West Ham, mm. as have uh, Football West and the Perth Glory mm. over the years, which has been great. Yep. But, uh, you know, in times like this, we do need to kick in, and, and $3.80 is not a lot. I'm sure mm. there's plenty of people who will donate more than that, yep. uh, but I certainly hope they do to, to give it a kick along because it would be a grand shame if the foundation 
uh, does not exist in the manner in which it has because uh, that would be, you know, unlike in other sports, uh, a footballer that isn't remembered in the way in which he should and uh, a person that is close to the football community uh, not having their story preserved in the manner in which it should. And that would be... That would be devastating. So I hope that uh, everyone comes to the party on that. And, yeah. uh, and DT38 can carry on doing the great things that it does. It's not a major charity by any stretch, but no. it's got a strong place in the football community. And you know, the golf day that was set for Perth in, in May, I was really looking forward to coming to Perth for, as was Simon Hill. Mm. Hopefully that can kick on again uh, in time and everything returns back to normal. I'm sure it'll be back on, but uh, in the meantime, people wanting to dip into their pockets and uh, contribute and help out, uh, just go on to the dt38.com.au website and uh, just follow the prompts there and uh, uh, give whatever you can give. 380 is uh, a meagre amount of money in this modern day um, and I know um, people that have been giving substantially more than that to keep the, the good message that uh, the foundation gives out there to keep uh, young men and boys uh, in, in the picture on, on the testicular cancer awareness um, uh, side of affairs and uh, also it's it's very the message is not just for boys it's it's out there uh, for look it's for, a message of health for everybody for everyone, you know yeah. girl, girls have got to check themselves out Absolutely. as well um, uh, us old boys have got to check ourselves out uh, we keep saying the girls are far yeah. better at uh, uh, looking after themselves than the boys we, we only uh, look at ourselves when we're in crisis so uh, look, uh, uh, well not necessarily yeah. every year I book myself in for a full full service oil and, oil and water check the whole lot <laughs> same here Sean so <laughs> yeah. we're learning we're, we're not fast learners, but we're uh, getting there. It's all Absolutely. good. Absolutely. All good. And for less than the price of coffee, yeah. you, you can support a very, very worthy cause. That's it. And, Danny, when are you, uh, I mean, are you uh, going to b- keep yourself based on the East Coast, obviously, because that's where all the uh, the media uh, work is, but um, do, do you still uh, make the journey back home to catch up with family and friends uh, after this virus is... Um, Basically, uh, I won't say over, but uh, all these restrictions are lifted. Yeah, we'll wait and see. But um, you know, in uh, in Sydney for now, um, couldn't move back to Melbourne soon. Yep. Just uh, staying a fluid amid. That's one of the, the buzzwords. Fluid amid this whole situation. We'll see what happens when <laughs> yeah. it's uh, when it's all said and done. So uh, during this this crisis and, and uh, you know the time when we're all isolated, what's the Daniel Daniel Garb survival kit? Um, I've been I've been watched um, Sunderland till I died the other week. That was really good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I watched I watched Sunderland till I die, which yeah. I enjoyed. I watched the the English game as well. I recommend that enormously. Yeah, That's I, a, a really good. I watched really the good, first uh, one. Bi- biopic on. Um, on, on really, I mean, look, there's a bit of periodic drama there and Downton yeah. Abbey type stuff, but uh, it's actually a great history lesson on uh, the creation of football mm. and and how it became the people's game mm. and how transfers came in. And having done some research, it actually checks out a lot. It's very accurate. So mm. I would recommend that for any football lover because you learn a lot and you appreciate a lot in terms of how the game was actually established. So that's a good one. Yeah, a number of different shows which I'm enjoying, but to be honest, golf has been my saviour. Playing oh, a lot okay. of that right now, which uh, we're lucky to do in Sydney, yeah. and uh, that's keeping me sane, getting out to the driving range and playing once or twice a week. So uh, mm. golf has been uh, the one sport that uh, has been tricking, tracking along amid all of this, and yeah, I'm loving it at the moment. So that's been uh, thankfully and being being a multi being a multi sports fan. What are you making of the Last Dance? 
Uh, I love it, love it, love it, love it. It's yeah, awesome, isn't really it? Looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, really looking forward to it. The Michael Jordan documentary, and uh, it's fantastic. I mean, look, growing up in in the as a kid in the nineties, I mean that it was really my sweet spot. Uh, the Michael Jordan explosion. I mean, I, I didn't come from a basketball family. I played basketball because of Michael Jordan, like pure and simple. Mm. I mean, uh, we went to Wildcats games, yeah, and the Wildcats became so popular, and the NBL was so popular then because of the flow-down effect from Michael Jordan in the NBA. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. So I'm so aware of the impact he had and to reflect on his greatness and learn so much about that story through the documentary is, I find, fantastic. So, yeah, watched yeah. the first two episodes as soon as they came out and can't wait uh, for the next two on Monday. And I think, you know, when you go through it, it's just the backstory, what was going on behind is, is really good. Looking forward to seeing if Luke Longley makes an appearance in it. And, you know, it, there is... For all of us, it touches on, on the history of all other sports as well. Yeah, most certainly. And, uh, you know, you just you can just see the impact that a guy like that had and how what a unique uh, specimen he was as a top-class athlete. I mean, there's lots of special athletes out there, but, yeah. I mean, the drive on the man and the dedication on the man mm. and uh, the way in which it all came together and the Scotty Pippen story and the Phil Jackson story and what was happening behind the scenes, it's, it's fascinating. So... Yeah. yeah, loving it. Absolutely. And do you think Will Grigg would have been worth as much without the song? I tweeted that the other day. I said, absolutely no way. <laughs> they spent £3 million pounds on Will Grigg in Sunderland till I die. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't for that bloody song. It's that song that got him over the line. I, I thought it was an abject failure uh, in, pre in preparation. <laughs> it was panic buying at its best. They, they had no B plan. But it was Will Grigg or nothing, and despite yeah. going, oh, that's more than we want you to pay two or three times, they still went to three mil. I just thought it was a classic, a classic um, way of, of a club in free fall, just panic buying for the sake of panic buying. I get the theory behind it because yeah. they needed a striker, and they thought, well, if he, you know, he scores five crucial goals, well, it's worth the money. Completely yeah. understand that, but they don't pay three times over the odds, which is what they did pay in the end if he didn't have that song attached to his name. I just think they go, he's worth £1 million. There's probably five other players that looked at worth £1 million. Yet somehow they persisted with him because he was this popular player in the UK at the time due yep. to that song. Uh, and I think that's the only reason why, <laughs> or a major reason why, I they ended up paying over the odds. Yeah. I mean, for that sort of money, you could have, you could have spent that money on surgery for Tony Cotty and played him up front. <laughs> exactly right but I mean ultimately they should have made Josh Madger stay and, yeah. uh, and just hoped, hoped that uh, you know, he did enough to get them through but I think even if they forced Madger to stay I think his agent would have told him to strop and drop his head and drag his heels yep. and force a move and give them no choice. That and would have been the play from the agent, but it probably was worth them taking that risk. The backstory in that, of course, was that the agent was looking for a payday and he filled this young kid's head with, you know, I can get of you. Course. And that was it. It did them. Of course, and it happens all the time. And it's, yeah. it's very sad. And then, uh, you know, when the, and, and the, the agent fills the player's head with, with riches, of course, of how much yeah. they can earn. And then... When the player says, oh, yeah, but the club won't let me leave, he goes, okay, we'll just refuse to train. Yeah. Don't show up for training. Show up late. You know, turn up drunk. Them, give them the, yeah, turn up drunk. Oh, just give them the, the indication that your attitude during games will be terrible. Give yeah. them a problem. And then they've got no choice but to take the money. Yeah. That's what would have happened. 
Yeah, no, it was a very interesting and enthralling series. And, you know, it's just for that yeah. backroom stuff. For anyone that has run a club, Don, mm-hmm. um, it just resonates with... with yeah. Even local clubs and how you run a club. The, uh, I call it the funny business of football. Yeah. <laughs> There's always a bit of funny business going yeah, on. Yeah, and, and the, biz- the business plan of, you know, <laughs> losing 33 million a year and then asking someone to sign a cheque for it. Yes, it's, yeah, Mad- great. madness. <laughs> hey, John, I've got a question for you, if that's all right. Shoot, yeah. Danny, shoot. I know you've been involved in, in running um, clubs in, in Perth, yep. state league clubs. So yep. a big talking point right now is, the cost around grassroots football. It's been a talking point for a little while. Yep. Um, and then we had a, a situation recently where the, the six Socceroos came together on Oxus and had a big debate about all the big issues, and that was a major one. And, and one of the big talking points around the cost for grassroots um, fees is that clubs are charging more so they can take some of that money and basically pay for a star striker in the first team to keep yeah. them up, and, which is obviously very controversial. And mm. I, I can answer that one. I can answer that one well, for I'm you, Well, I'm just Daniel. wondering, is that, is that the, is that, does that happen? Does it happen more than it should? And do we need to put a cap on what parents should spend, uh, should be allowed to spend on junior fees? To I'll, me, that seems the logical scenario. The logical scenario for me, and, and the way our club do it, we, we actually are not cheap, but the, the parents get a full breakdown of where that money goes. Some of that money, and, and certainly a, a small portion of it, goes towards funding first-team players, mm. but not an awful lot. And a lot of parents don't mind that. Mm. It's where, and for, for their money, they're getting a full-time professional coach who does nothing else but coach their, their that program um, and dedicated coaches throughout the age groups. So they know where the money's going. I think when you've got a mum and dad coach who's not getting paid anything purely as a volunteer and you're still getting charged 1200 bucks, that's a problem. Yeah. And it, as long as the, the, the people are open and transparent with where the money's going, the parent makes the choice. On, my, my take on it, Dan, is um, some clubs do it better than other clubs. Some clubs yeah. ma- manage their their uh, uh, accounts in, in a far better way. Um, wh- what I found at Sterling when we started trying to build the field of dreams where, where kids could actually uh, look at um, coming to the club and learning the, the football, that we made sure that we got the best coaches. So to get the best coaches, and I mean, you know, it's we talk about the word... Um, the good people, you know, people mm. who actually can get a message <clears throat> across, not batter the kid mentally, actually get the message across in a in a, a teaching manner, and and you and then you show the dream of these children, and you back that dream up by making sure that you've got a youth development policy yeah. where you play kids yeah. in your senior team, and the so, kids actually do improve. So then, when you go to buy players like I did, I got Jason Gavin played for Middlesbrough, I got Shane Robinson played for Shamrock Rovers, I got pl- players. That that are world-class players that could come here and, yes, they cost me some money, but at the end of the day, I made sure I got sponsors to fund these guys to come over and, and, and they were looking for an opportunity to start a new life in this country and Jason Gavin got a job in the mining industry, but he taught our kids how to be professionals. So when I went to parents and said, we're going to have to lift the fees a little bit more just to compensate getting quality uh, teachers in our structure, the parents were more than happy to pay that little bit extra because they knew 
knew their kids were mixing with quality individuals. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, every club would do it differently. I mean, hmm. I just remember growing up, like, okay, we had mum and dad coaches, but, yep. you know, thankfully the mum and dad coaches were the ones who, who knew about the game and understood the game and, hmm. and taught us very well in those early stages. Hmm. I can understand definitely having qualified coaches when you get to certain age groups, under 10s or whatever, but to me, I, don't, I think when the kids are under 6, under 7, under 8, under 9, mm. you know, charging them four figures doesn't add up because you're potentially turning kids away from the sport and they're going to take up Ozkick where it costs $50 Un- to, s- to under play. Under 10s. It's, it's, it's a big issue because we produce plenty of good players at our yeah. club through yeah. mum and dad coaches. And we have yeah. so many great talents. Um, under 10, you I can put them... I know the landscape's changed a bit. I know yeah. it has, and now you need... It's very competitive between clubs. But you can put an under 10 on the grass for about 200 bucks. Yeah. It doesn't need to be any more than that. As I said, some, no, club, no. some clubs do it better than others, yeah. and that's where, like, I don't think every club should be told yeah. you've got to be a development club. I think, no. I think, you know, you just leave the development to the clubs that are good at it, the ones who can raise the money without having to rob the parents, because our game's not subsidised, and you spoke about government needing to put more back in in, into our code, if if we got the same subsidies that Aussie Rules got and cricket got, we wouldn't have to charge our parents the amount of money that we charge. So that's yep. where the inequality yep. needs to be addressed, and that way we don't, you know, our clubs don't look like robbers. I don't think there's one president or committee member out there that wants to charge these crazy prices. They, it's it's the only way they can survive is to mm. charge. Unfortunately. Well, the thing is, it, it has a cost. And I know, look, no matter what the cost is, mm. um, you, you put a player on, on the ground, I can tell you that a quarter of that, that fee yeah. or over and above that is still raised by sponsorship, fundraising, etc. So and, and if, you're charging, if yeah. you're charging 500 bucks for a player, I can guarantee you it's costing you between 750 and 800 to put them on the grass yep. with council fees, um, insurance, and all the other things that you've got to, got to pay up, electricity, gas, water, yep. kits, the whole lot. So it, it's, whilst it, it seems a lot of money, mm. um, generally... I would say 99% of the clubs are, are doing the right thing. Yeah. The NPL clubs always come under scrutiny because the the amount of money they have to pay. Yeah. But each one of those has to have a TD that doesn't come cheap because there is a lot of work they have to do. Yeah. And if you're paying for a full-time accredited TD who's got the ability to improve those children, yeah. it's, it's money well spent in some cases. Yep. Spot on, Sean. Okay, Daniel, look, thank you very much for being on. Yeah. Really appreciate Thanks, your boy. time. Good to, good to hear your, your uh, dulcet tones there, Danny. We, uh, we miss, <laughs> miss you, mate, and uh, we look forward to uh, seeing you back out there on the, uh, on the big screen. You're, Absolutely. You're... Looking forward to it. Thanks, lads. Good thank on you. you. See, See you, Daniel. Daniel Garb, and some very interesting points there about the, the funding of the game, and I think, you know, when we go forward... Um, you know, things like not having people at games is going to cost clubs. Mm. We need people putting money into the game. Right. And if we if we don't, those fees will only go up because yeah. it, the money has to come from somewhere. It does. You know yourself, Don, yeah. a yeah. club does not run on fresh air. No, we balanced our books when we got good crowds, when we had yeah. good, uh, good entertaining teams. And, uh, you know, even with the kids on Sundays, uh, the, the canteen used to do... A, cracking business because Absolutely. because there was lots of parents um, keen to come and watch these young skilled kids um, enjoying their football Absolutely, mm. alright we'll be back on the air with one of those skillful young kids years ago <laughs> in Dean Evans uh, <laughs> apparently had a decent, da- a decent mum and dad coach
Yeah. Well. I had no idea your missus could coach. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back after this. Steady on. <laughs> Gate and Fence Hardware WA is your hardware shop online. Find all the parts you need to fix, make and secure your gates and fences. Friendly staff and family offer advice to help your project along or order in your special part. Gate and Fence Hardware WA. Station sponsor. Hi, I'm Louis Prospero, Chair of the Football Hall of Fame Western Australia. We are the first sporting Hall of Fame formed in Australia in 1996. The Hall of Fame recognises outstanding individuals in football in Western Australia. Join legends such as Sandra Brecknell, Julius Reed and Gareth Navin at our next Hall of Fame event to celebrate 25 years coming up in 2021. Find us on Facebook and on the web as the Football Hall of Fame, Western Australia keep up to date with events and regular stories from our team of journalists and committee members. The Football Hall of Fame, Western Australia, recognising the Western Australia football community. In 1972, under a scorching June sun, in the French coastal town of Marseille, two Algerian immigrants awaited the birth of their fifth child. Later that day, a star was born. We are proud to be the longest-running football show on radio in Australia. Call it soccer, call it football. Myself, Peter Skeeler, Penny Tanner, Sean Kelly, Don Evans and Derek Pollock are the voices in your world football team, sharing the news across WA, Australia and the world for the one and only World Game, the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle. It always puts a smile on my face, that one. I don't know why, I just love it. Yeah, it's yeah. a little bit of um, g- good stuff in, in all that, Sean. And um, I've got to say good morning to my young fella, Dean. Good morning, son. Hello, Dad. How are you going? Oh, mate, we're going well. Me and Sean being, you know, happy hammers, not getting relegated. You know, <laughs> it's all good, isn't it, Sean? Is Sean always said that? Yes. Yes, it's true. I, I said, oh, it's good. So yeah. Have, oh, hammer, a, a hammer from way back. Um, <laughs> Dean, how are you going? No, I'm doing well. Um, obviously dealing with the, with the times at the moment and obviously running a, a business in quite tough when you have to shut up shop but yeah i'm making do for for what it is at the moment Absolutely. I think, you know, you look at the, the start of this year, um, night series final, get married, season starts, and then bang, it's all gone. And, uh, and, and a big win at uh, the, the, the last year's champions at Dorian Gardens. So, yeah. You know, you'd have thought, wow, you know, Florida uh, uh, out of the blocks in a hurry and uh, can't wait for it. And now, um, bang, no. yeah, just all gone. Uh, it, must, it must be a big change. Yeah, look, it's, it's pretty pretty sad i think for everyone involved in football um not just in football in life as well i guess but look everyone's had to adjust and adapt to what it is at the moment um especially myself in terms of running a business and you know i guess you're so used to just habit and like a schedule that 
you know, that that all gets taken away from you. So, like I said, you adapt. But, mm. yeah, no, look, we, we, we started quite well with our season uh, for what it was, uh, and which is usually what um, happens. We're always, always quite strong in what we do. Um, at the start of the season, we just want to... Hopefully, once the season's back on, we, we, we go all the way this year, you know, because I think we... Our team fight, we've got high ambitions that we, we want to win the league. That's, that's one of our main objectives this year if we get to end up playing our season. Absolutely. Now, how are you keeping in touch with the other players? Um, how are you all keeping fit? Is the club doing Zoom sessions or um, one of the other mediums that's available? Um, well, what, we had a meeting before uh, everyone pretty much went into lockdown and there was no training allowed. And we, we said that we'd uh, keep up to date with five-kilometre runs um, through an app. Um, and then we posted to our group chat on Facebook or WhatsApp, so look, we're we're quite a tight tight group, uh, tight knit group. So most of us are friends outside of football anyway. So we we stay in touch regardless. But then, you know, with our with our times for our running that we do, we ended up just posting it in our group chat. So no, look, we're I guess then it comes down to the individual as well how motivated how motivated you are to just you know I guess wanting to stay fit and hopefully get on get on track for the season. Once it's once it's ready, it's not just um, uh, call it um, body fitness, but it's also mental uh, fitness as well, Dean. How do the boys keep themselves positive and stay uh, stay focused on uh, getting through this period, which uh, has been pretty um, let's just say for a lot of people out there, been very hard times in terms of uh, you know uh, job out of jobs and all this sort of stuff. Um, you, you boys stay in touch on that level as well. Yeah, look, I think everyone. Um, has their own problems. You know, obviously, we won't know the full extent of that. Um, but look, as a group, we we're like I said, we're very close and we stay in touch. So we're always every day or yeah, every second day we're sending you know photos of all the boys together or videos of all the boys just to keep the spirits high. Mm. Um, I think everyone's just raring to get back together. Uh, look, and you know that camaraderie that sport brings. I think that's what everyone sort of misses and. Yeah, it's it's like that's your exercise for the week as well, you know, doing it together with your mates. The best best thing. Oh, look for for me it was it was also apart from being exercised, as Don says, it was that that mental stress reliever. You know, there was for for have me as, as a as a centre back, uh, all the pent up stuff I had going on through the week was taken out in the centre forward. Um, <laughs> so you know, well it was. It's just the way you exercised all that out of your system. It was it's it is just more than than a game. Yeah, no. Look, like you said, it's it's more than just a game. Um, you know, it's it keeps I think most males quite sane. Um, that are obviously brought up with football. I know since I was a kid, that's all I've been known to do. And now that it's in my like with my job as well, that's that's all I know. So yeah, it, it, it's strange. It's, it's, it's a big uh, culture shock for, for the football but footballing world. I think going forward, um, we talk now about a. a possible season I suppose the first thing is how long do you think it would take how many training sessions do you think as a player you would need to get yourself to where you need to be to to play a season proper look to be honest two to three weeks look you can and that's the thing you could ramp up training within those two three weeks you can maybe do three sessions a week and then look you're always going to play on a I'm sure the coaches will want to play games straight away as well so the best fit, the best fitness is match fitness. So if you maybe play two or three games um, 
before getting the season back up and running, then look, you should be good to go. And then, I'm sure everyone's staying fit in their own way too. Yeah, and look, most of the coaches and players I've spoken to have said a similar thing, so that's... You know, it seems to be the the benchmark. Um, but going back now, there's all talks of what sort of season we'll have. Some people are talking about playing two to three games a week. Um, I, I worry for injuries if that's what we do. We're we're not that fit that we could do that. Yeah, I don't think it comes down to to fitness. Uh, I think it comes down more to the resources. You know, we're we're part time footballers, really. So we're, we're we're not getting all the the proper. I guess, resources that your full-time pro would get. So that's where, like you said, injuries could come into into play. But my thought process maybe was, I guess you just extend the season through summer. Um, yeah, but there's, there's this little uh, thing called cricket and mm-hmm. ground sharing. I mean, a lot of the, the grounds, yeah. where well, you look at Rockingham, um, Rockingham share theirs with cricket and Anywhere Toronto when the sun's well. shining, they're they're off the ground. So you and the two don't yeah. go well. I mean, I've I've played on grounds that shared with cricket, and I think one of them um, up on Main Street, mm. there was actually a concrete cricket pitch in the middle of a soccer pitch. Mm. Um, a horrible yeah. thing to play on. So, you know, the two the two codes don't mix. And then you've also got, uh, and believe it or not, there are some people that do things other than football, Dean. Some of them play cricket and <laughs> baseball and all the other things that are out there. So it's not just as simple as, oh, we'll just bleed into that. Um, talking to someone who's an AFL fan who said, oh, we'll just play through the summer, pointed out to him, it's actually called the Melbourne Cricket Ground, not the Melbourne Football Ground. <laughs> Yeah, that's, yeah, no, it's, that, that, and it's tricky, isn't it? So that's, yeah. that's going to be something that needs to be thought about. Um, but like I said, the look, the midweek games are, are tough if we're going to do that Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday. Not all clubs have the lighting that's good enough to to play these games as well. So and I then, guess that's where it's going to be interesting. They might they might turn around and say these grounds are the grounds to be used uh, for the catch up games. They yeah. might turn around and identify yeah. six of the best grounds in. But but again, Don, this ties back into mm. the whole financial modelling. Um, I was asked Dean one thing: mm. How do you feel about playing without any fans in the ground? Mm. Well, look, to be honest, I think the crowds these days aren't that huge mm. um, in the state league, so <laughs> I think that's sort of normal. If if not, but look, yeah. but having, having fans, it just I think state league part time footballers, we're sort of used to not having huge crowds, so we get up for games regardless, just because of who's around us. I think um, obviously you want your fans there because I remember growing up, I'd always go and watch watch my, uh, Sterling play, and I'd want to be there. So you know, and now that we've got the young juniors coming through to watch our games, it's it's always meaningful, you know. So it will be hard. Well, exactly. It will be hard having. Yeah, it will be very hard. So it's uh, look, it's going to be mm. interesting to see what football has come up with and how they're going to how they're going to finish the season. I guess. But, but as a player, I suppose you, you you don't think about the the other side of the the game, which is that the money has to be generated from somewhere. And if the club's not generating money, mm. um, then paying players becomes a, a problem because uh, without the income, you can't expend. So, what would you feel if the, the club said to you, look, we, we want to play, but we're going to have to re- renegotiate your deal. Yeah, look, and that that could be interesting because I know some players, well, make, well not some, most players give up their Saturdays to to play, obviously. Yeah. And fortunate, fortunate enough, we get we get paid for it. 
Um, whereas, you know, some players that could work on the Saturday might choose to do that if they're going to get paid more. Mm, absolutely. Um, but that's, so that's where it could be, you know, interesting to see what happens. But at the same time, you, you obviously understand that, you know, clubs aren't generating that money. Mm. Um, so, yeah, again, that's another tricky question. What's, what, what's your thoughts, Sean, on um, players having a say in the, how the season is actually um, agreed to by Football West? It shouldn't just be standing league, uh, uh, sorry, standing committee members. It should be uh, player representatives and maybe coach representatives. Well, I think if you if you're going to do it properly and a, a decent um, state league or, or standing standing committee member mm. for amateurs or juniors mm. should also be talking to. Players the, and coaches. The players and coaches about what they expect yep. or or the parents of those um, players that you know in the juniors yep. but there it needs to be a collective not just one simple thing Agreed. I think if, if you ask a player a player would go I'll go back this afternoon without mm. having to consider mm. all of the other factors one of the factors we haven't considered is that football West laid off a whole load of staff mm. and if they don't have the staff to support the competition what does it look like mm. that's right you know, there's, yeah. How does that come together? On the business side, Dean, um, that's, that's been uh, obviously uh, something that you uh, and Reese have had to uh, look after and uh, adapt to. Um, have you found that the government support and, and initiatives that have been put in place have helped offset a little bit of that, um, call it, uh, you know, hardship that you boys have had to endure now? Uh, yeah, look, yes and no. We obviously got that JobKeeper payment, which is, you know, which is great. But you know you're losing you're losing that uh, you know consistent income, which is which is tough. Mm. Uh, obviously, speaking with the, the landlord and you know co-easing with him and speaking with him and he's helping us, which is great too. But yeah, it's, look, it's 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 not easy, I'm sure, for any small business owner or any business owner in in that sense. We've like you said, we've had to adapt. So we want to stay in touch with our footballing community that we've had. Mm. Um, majority. Which we're now doing our a lot of online sessions. And yeah, that, that, so, look, there is, yeah. This, look, there's positives that have come from it in terms of we're doing a lot more online, and you know we're we're doing three sessions a week for you know kids aged from five to thirteen. So, and that runs for thirty minutes every look. We did like this week. Sorry, it's just gone. We did Wednesday, Thursday, Friday because of the holidays, mm. and once they're back at school, so we'll do more afternoon sessions. Um, and we're also going to release a full-time online program. So it's a monthly, a month program where kids can train yeah. every day if they want. And I suppose that's yeah. the other thing that's missing. I mean, I've got young grandchildren, and I know one of my eight-year-old grandchildren, he just misses his football so much. Um, every every spare minute of the day he's out there with the ball. Um, you know, it's really tough on the kids. Oh, of course. And that's why, you know, them, you know, the kids that we coach, them seeing us is, I think, a, a great thing for them as well. That I guess it keeps that level of normality as well. Yeah. Where they were used to seeing us most days um, during the week. And look, we us providing the online sessions, they can still see us. We can still interact, have a bit of fun with them. And they're still getting their exercise and their footballing. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, look, as we said this before, it's a very, very much changed world. Um, I think when we look at the the football going back to normal um you know we we look at what else is going back to normal and at the moment you've got schools and for junior football 
um, I think we'd have the same issues. Some people are not sending their kids back to school because of the fear of the coronavirus. And I think when we, we look at what's going to happen in the next year or two is that people are going to be reticent to go back into big crowds or into those um, any team sport because of those coronavirus issues. So there's going to be a lot of fear and trepidation around the return. Yeah, no, I was just speaking about that on the way here. Just it'll be that hesitancy to, like you said, mingle with people again. You know, you were so used to hugging and high-fiving and shaking hands with everyone. Now everyone, I think, yeah. will be a lot more hesitant in how they approach things. Now, sure. I suppose that's the thing, though. I mean, for, for you, as a, as a goal scorer of some spectacular re, uh, renown, um, have you revised your, your, your celebration or are you going to carry on? I think we just don't... don't no hugs, no high fives, no celebrations anymore. It's just going to be strictly business, I think. <laughs> <laughs> now, when when you uh, were a developing footballer, um, and particularly in in the realms of the dead ball, did did you have any heroes that you you modelled yourself on? Oh, he's going to be the next guest on the show. It has to be <laughs> good lead, hoping, good I, segue there. Yeah, I was hoping so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, I I just love football as a kid. I love yeah. watching it. I love, and I still do. I watch games. Pretty, pretty strange, you know. I just, I enjoy watching football. It's my life. Um, growing up, I obviously loved West Ham. So, you know, when Frank Lampard was there, uh, he wasn't really much of a dead ball. Beckham, you'd always see and you'd always emulate. So I remember myself and a few other boys, Ludo, Phil. We used to go down to Massey Park and just literally most days just practice free kicks. We'd tire, we'd put a tire in the top corner and we'd just take free kicks for God knows how long, two, three hours, and. Funnily enough, that hasn't really changed. We do that at the centre now, so it's you know it stayed with me, and it's just it's something I love doing. Just you know, dead balls. It's an art um, if you can do it right and you can do it consistently. One of the, one of the questions, Sean, yeah. from one of our uh, avid uh, followers in uh, JP Papalia, he he wants us to ask uh, Con, uh, who's our next guest, yeah. young uh, Con Bucianis, uh, the question, and I'll ask you, Dean, the importance of biomechanics in technique of striking the ball. Yeah, look, that, that, I have my own sort of way in doing things, and I'm sure a lot of other footballers do the same. I'm sure Beckham had his own sort of stance in how he run up. Ronaldo does it for sure now. Um, and he's all about, you know, his breathing. He controls his breathing before he yeah. shoots. I remember watching something about that. I have a certain step that I like to just always follow. And that's where I found most of my consistency. And, yeah, look, every player is different. Every free kick take is different. Um, and if you st- I, look, I think if you stick to your guns and you, you practice it enough, you're quite confident in what you're going to then put out. And confidence is is the biggest part of that, and just having the the kahunis to take it on. Mm. Um, who's your favourite? Who's your favourite West Ham player ever? Whatever. See, I love I love Scott Parker when he was there. Oh yeah, Cause, yeah, great cause player. I'm a, I'm a midfielder. He always got about the pitch. I loved him. Yeah. Look, you can't go. Who else was there? Diamante was there. Now he plays in the A League. He yep. did a little short. Can't go past the Canio. Trevor yeah. Sinclair. Even yeah. Dean Ashton in his time when he was there, he had to retire early. Oh, there's look, a few, there's a few. Dean Ashton was the best striker that mm. England never got to enjoy. Yeah, um, sad. Right at the start of a very good England career, he, he was crippled mm. playing for England. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, look, I, I, like, see, I love growing up, I always used to watch Zidane. Zidane was my favourite and the one I guess I looked up to the most. He was, he was a joy to watch. 
Yeah, it certainly was a very, very skillful um, player and, yeah, great exponent of the game. But there's been so many, mm. you know, Cruyff, Pelé. Oh, we've been spoilt, Sean. Yeah. We, we go many. back to Trevor Brooking and uh, and Bobby Moore, mate. My, my heroes, oh. Jeff Hurst, you know. Yeah, those. Alan, Alan Devonshire. Alan Devonshire, yeah. And yeah, my hero, Billy Bonds. Bonzi, yeah, Frankie Lampard. Oh, yeah. 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 Slow down, boys. Those names are too old for me. <laughs> oh, no, they're, they're the classic players. That's it, mate. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're the boys that led the foundations. The, legends. the B- legends. Billy Bonds and, and Bobby Moore, true leaders. Yep. You know, they, they they knew how to, how to play the game in, in the fine arts, but they also knew when you need to get dark, yep. they could do the dark mate, stuff. Watching some of the yeah. uh, the action from so, so, going back in time, watching yeah. the, the pitches that they used to play on yeah. and, the, and the actual skill level. Level that they were able to perform on ice skating rinks, I used to uh, call them. My, my classic vision yeah. is of um, George Best yep. going down the middle in what was just purely mud, mud. <laughs> with a ball with a lace in it, yeah. with, with his socks around his ankles, and you had people like Chopper Harris diving in with both feet, and he's just <laughs> dancing around them, you know, like he's got the ball on a string on a perfect yeah. pitch. Yeah. And it was literally so bad, you would not drive a tractor through it in this day and age. <laughs> You're yeah. spoilt yeah. these days, you boys. <laughs> you got good pitches. Uh, and the game's changed, hasn't it? it massively. Has. Absolutely, yeah. it has. And and hopefully, after this, it will resurge just as good as ever because that's all we're waiting for. Yeah. Dean, great to catch up with you. Um, hope everything goes well in in the business and uh, in life in general when we, we get back to it. You're just lucky you're still on your honeymoon, son. That's it. Keep enjoying your honeymoon. <laughs> Cheers, boys. <laughs> Thanks, Cheers, John. Thanks, Dad. See, See you, Dana. Bye, son. There you go. Young Dean Evans, who's a, a very talented footballer um, and a struggling business owner right now. So yeah, um, well, I'm I'm proud of the boy because he's he's level headed and yeah. um, the, you know, and there's a lot of like I say, he's he's a role model to other kids out there. But we've got so many people like Dean in our football community, and it's important that these boys keep spreading the message to everyone else that hey, listen, we're going to get through all this and absolutely uh, we'll come out better. And I suppose the other thing is when you're doing through through these times, mm. um, you know, we've we've got sponsors here for our station, yeah. such as Greg and West Coast Football um, and Prosperity Management, and all those people that that do help us. And it's important that we put back into those people now and that when the resurgence happens, mm. that all those people that were West Coast get over their fear and they go back and they start playing their futsal yep. and that people support the people that supported us. And that's what we've got to do. Penny, in, in particular with Oswest Fencing and yeah. Lord Iron Gate and Fence Hardware and, um, you, you know, you, Perth Glory help help us out as well with tickets. So, yep. you know, if, if it's not for these people, um, these shows don't go to air and we don't get to talk about our beautiful game. And but also out there in Clubland, every club has sponsors. And, and to make sure that, you know, when when those businesses reopen, that you are engaging with those people That's because right. they support the game. Yep. And without that, we, we don't have a game. So, you know, we need to be making sure that we look after each other. Look after our own. That's for sure, Sean. All right, I'm just about to make a call through to Mr. Butziana, so um, we'll put some ads on. We'll be back after these. Do you want better strata management? Put Prosperity Strata Management at the top of your list. We provide a flat competitive fee with no extra or hidden charges. We provide value for money repairs with contractor prices reviewed regularly. And we provide prompt professional service with 30 years experience, which is why our clients recommend us. Your property is our concern. See prosperitystratamanagement.com.au Station Sponsor. They can say what they want. 
West Coast Futsal Association has social competitions at Hollywood Futsal Club in West Perth and the Mount Lawley Futsal Club. Competitions are open for new players looking for a kick around with mates from Monday to Friday. For those looking at high level futsal, there is the Junior Leagues in Karangup on weekends and the male and female Superliga competitions based in Subiaco. For more information, contact Brittany on 0481 881343. The top station on your radio dial, Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. Okay, and we're back in the room. Um, just spoke to Connie. He's just getting into his car and um, switching over to the Bluetooth. So um, he should be with us very, very shortly. Um, but, you know, we, we go back to those those years, Don, um, 1998, 2000, with the glory, um, third or fourth year in existence. The buzz was there. It really was the, the glory days. We had the Birchnagger in, in charge. <laughs> You know, it was. Mate, we had Bootsy putting them in top corner. We had Bass Calderacus belting one from uh, 30, 40 metres out, screamers, and uh, and the crowds were buzzing. People were like, going to a football was like, it was like going to the Royal Show, wasn't it, Sean? We, we just had so much fun. Absolutely, we did. No, it was brilliant. <laughs> and, you know, the, the whole thing with the glory, you know, Steve Armstrong belting out yeah. the, the glory song beforehand. It yep. was, the, the whole buzz was there, you know. That was people, a family day out. It was great. But people talk about mm. the NSL and, and how the NSL was dying. It was really on a resurgence when that, that came through. Yep. And, you know, those, those years were really, I think, in, in some of the best years that Glory's ever had. Reminiscing's a beautiful thing, but uh, Con, um, you, no doubt you've got some fantastic memories too of the, the great days uh, when you played here in Perth. Yeah, hi guys, how are you? Very well. Yeah, no, I, I got a lot of fond memories. Um, oh, just so, look, it was good for yeah. me last night. I ran through the a couple of the videos that we've got of... Um, those years, you know, you look at some of the names. Uh, one of my my all time favourite Glory players, Vinko Bulyabasic. You had John Markowski, Danny Hay, Vaz Kalagarakas, Bobby. Um, you had Ergic. You know, there was it was just a, a wonderful time to be alive and a, and a Perth Glory football fan. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, I like I said, before, I it's very difficult for as a player when when you're in that era and you're playing and you're playing with great players to fully understand the magnitude of what was really going on. Mm. So uh, we, you know, as a, as a club, you know, I think Nick Tanner, you know, developed a, a good system. It was a, it was prioritised, so he was able to um, market himself and <clears throat> be the leading club in Australia in a short period of time with the crowds, which were phenomenal. So... Um, yeah, when I think about those players as a team, I think, wow, you know, like Binko, you know, he was one of the top club men, always giving you 100%. I remember distinctly when he did break his leg. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was there underneath the, in, in the dressing rooms with him at that time, you know, and just holding his arm because he was in so much pain. But we had such a good group, you know, from John Markowski to your help and to Navesy to Scotty Miller. Mm. They were all champions in their own right and we formed you know a really really uh, top team in Australia and, and I think that's why people came to watch you know it was great to watch 
And mate, reminiscing uh, for all of us, it's it's like an occasion of joy. uh, uh, You know the pleasures that we had as you know uh, fans who took their family. uh, It was basically a family occasion. You'd go there with uh, all your all your kids. The kids would meet up with all their friends who they played soccer with at their local club, and it was just. it was something that you know. It, it was almost like a fa- you know, if you it want was, a, yeah. a fantasy, it was a fairy tale. Um, now, now the modern era, the new world that we find ourselves in, con, how do we how do we get something? Are we going to get those days back again in the A League, or is it a new day dawning with all the stuff that's going on around the world? Well, I mean, look, you know, they are, as I said, it's different times, and we everyone's trying to custom themselves to what's going on <clears throat> so we can only do what we we can but you know like I've been doing free online classes so whoever's listening in Perth and they've got a club and I'm offering a free online class for one of the teams in their whole club excellent right? yep. um, as a gesture for myself um, to help these kids to keep pushing and working hard and there's no reason why they can't go and practice on their own. They're allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm allowed to coach one-on-one and yeah. probably not for a long time. Mm-hmm. So um, it would be great for you guys to publicise that in Perth. Any, any club um, can pick one team out of their club, mm-hmm. and I'm happy to do an online cast for free to help them with some of the basic skills. Um, and, you know, I've been doing that for the last, I don't know, three or four weeks. I've been offering these classes. So, um, like so, I can help. How do we reach out? Exactly, Con. How do we get get, get in contact with you, or how do the clubs and, and well, the, the clubs can send me an email the footballfirst.com.au is the website. Footballfirst.com.au, okay. All of my Instagram is at Conbutiana, so I can get on and follow that. Yep. There's already a number of videos on my Instagram page, which will give them some tips. Yeah. Um, straight away. Um, and then they just send me an email, and then uh, we hook up a date mm-hmm. and, a, and a time, and, and we, we do the online class. We either do it through Instagram or we do it through Zoom. Yeah. So I'd say the webinar would be, if it's for a specific club, we'll do a webinar through Zoom. Very easily done. That's Everyone wonderful, Colin. I, I just wish that had been around in 98, 2000 because my young bloke then <laughs> used to go out. We, we used to live right opposite a, a soccer pitch and they had a, a goal up there and he's a lefty <laughs> and, and he would go out there and all I could hear coming coming from the park was Butziana steps up and he'd be practising free kicks the whole day just with his left foot, bang, 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 day after day after day and he got pretty good at it. Uh, but I think if he'd uh, had you online as a coach, he would have just lapped it up, um, <laughs> you know, just, just on his own, watching videos of you take free kicks. He'd go out there and practice like a demon. Well, it's interesting because, you know, we, we talk about what the problems are. You know, I don't know if you heard that there was an interview with Mark Baduka and yep, yep, yep. Um, some of the other Aussie boys, right? And everyone's talking about that. Mm. We're talking about guys who we played with and against who are at the top of their game, yeah. right? And Mark Schwartz makes an interesting comment about how the state federation, we need to be as one, So, which is, which is a great idea. So um, these guys are the guys that should be in the jobs. Yeah, I don't disagree. So, I mean, it's not... It's, 
it's not rocket science that all the club coaches, like at FFB, the club coaches for FFB, or sorry, the FFB coaches, which is Football Federation Victoria, yep. have been stood down. Yeah. Right? And I've yet to see one thing that they've actually done to enhance those kids and give those kids. And I've been on the internet giving sessions for free yep. because I actually care about the game and it's in our blood. What I ask them is what they have done. All they do is ridicule the players that have been there and sweated their whole life who deserve to be in those positions and we're sitting there paying administrators money who are doing absolutely nothing. Mm. Nothing for the game. The kids need the players who have been there and done that to show them how to play football, to show them what it's like, to feel it. We all have 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 heroes. We all have heroes. You know, Don, Don and I grew up watching some of the greats and tried to emulate them. And that's, mm. you know, the, the greatest thing is to have those, those, those people there. And, and I don't disagree with you. I think, you know, Rob Sherman was frustrated for the very same reasons that you are, is that the, there are some people in this game that are wrong, in there for the wrong motives. Mm. Um, and, the, you know, the, the politics of the game is, is killing us. And, you know, I don't disagree. Those people are on that podcast all highly skilled but then, you know, you've got yourself mm. who is a small businessman who is obviously struggling anyway with what's going on at the moment and you're giving up stuff for free because you love the game and that's really where it should be. It's about the, the love of the game. Mm. Of course, of course. It's what, it's in, it's in, the leadership's not about when things are going well. We've got many people in leadership positions that we assume are actually leading yeah. and getting paid and doing what? Leadership is when things are going wrong in this yeah. country and things are going wrong outside of our, our hands and still leading and pursuing and helping people when they can't afford it. Yeah. Because you know? there's a lot of families out there who are struggling. Sure, our, our wages have fallen by minimum 50%, right? Yeah. But, but the supermarkets are making nine and, nine and $10 billion worth of sales. Some people are making more money. So... When I sent out an, uh, a, a generic email to the clubs, I said in these times, we're all responsible to help the next generation of kids to tackle areas when they or things that become a little bit difficult and, and not to sit down in a, in a house and be locked in a house and say that we're, we're not going to do anything about life. You know, we, we yeah. can't do that. We have to keep moving forward somehow. So, I mean, we, we don't have um, Rob Sherman's position filled at the moment. Who do you think should be um, filling that? Would you be up for the job or do you think it should be somebody else? No, I'm always up for the job. I've been doing this job for 20 years. By the time they figure out what I'm doing, I'm another 20 years ahead. <laughs> because when I, had a meeting, when I had a meeting with one of the FFB bosses, they distinctly told me that, Con, you're too far ahead of us. Mm-hmm. You're too far ahead of us. What you've got is our coaches won't be able to understand it because they haven't played at a level and they won't understand it. I said, fine, so let me do the job. No, no, no. What you have to do is hand over your IP <laughs> and all the information <laughs> that you yeah. know Crazy. so you can give it to us so we can suit our model. Crazy. So we're talking about people who, who want to take take from people who have earned their money working for the last 20 years yeah. and to give their ideas and say that it's their idea. Yeah. No, now, get, no. get, get in the way from... 
it's madness. Getting away from madness. the politics of it, though, yeah. uh, Con, who who influenced you, you? How did you get to to be where you were? Who who taught you? Who got you along the road? Um, and you know, how does that model fit in this in this okay. world? Well, well, firstly, we all there's one common denominator as to why all those play, players made it. You can go through Mark Baduka to Harry Kuehl to Paul Ocon. I know all these guys and I've spoken to these guys intricately and the one thing that they did is they practiced on their own relentlessly. Stan, That's how they got the edge. Stan Lazaridis did we had the exactly AI, that. Yep. We had Stan, another one. Hmm. We had the AIS, which was a good format um, and Ron, uh, Ron Smith was the champion. Yep. Um, you know, he was a very good educator, still is a great educator. Yep. For the life of me, I don't know why he's not you know, in some position, but anyway. Hmm. Um, so they had that which was working. And then what we have now is uh, individuals starting their own academies who are experienced at doing so. What I did, yeah. the reason why I started mine is because I saw there was a lack of technique. Yeah. Now, the late Johnny Warren, who we used to talk to a lot about, we, you know, every week I used to speak to him. He goes, oh, we need to build the technique. Okay, yeah, we need to build it, but how do we do it? Mm. Well, if if a teacher, because this is about teaching, this is not about systems. If we don't change our perception about how to teach, then we're never going to get it right. If I'm going to show someone how to become something or how to do something, surely I know how to do it. Mm. If I'm going to be a doctor, I'm not going to go to the butcher, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So we've got people who are going and coaching the kids and saying, this is what you need to do, and they can't kick the ball properly. <laughs> yeah. And I suppose, I suppose the other thing is, Con, though, like with yourself, you, you were taught to, to strike a ball and you were obviously taught to strike it well, but then in your own time and in your own practice, you refined that for yourself and then added to that, which, you know, again, just increased your skill level and, and the, the technical ability that you had. Well, the importance of biomechanics. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, but, but I'm going to get to the point because it's hard to pick up. It's, it's like a grey area and you're missing a little hoop. I was not a teacher. What I was was a soccer player who got out there and trained hard. Yeah. So I learned how to do But no one said to me, Con, you need to practice your running. No one said to me, Con, your right foot is not as good as your, your left foot. Yeah. No one said to me, Con, your flexibility is not that great. We need to work on it. So answering your question, where did I learn from? I had two great coaches uh, in Russell Mathanda and Mirko Genotis who who yes. taught me about how to condition my body, yep. which which are two of the most unbelievable educators in the world, not yep. in Australia, yep. right? Another reason why these guys should be working within the system. And I suppose and the other thing is you, so you touched I, earlier on, on Ron Smith. Yeah, and, let um, me, finish, let me yep. finish. I don't want to cut you. Let me finish this yep. point. I didn't know 100% whether I was actually doing everything right because I didn't have someone isolating me and saying, this is what you need to do, Con, in this instance. This is how you run properly. This is where your arms need to be. When you kick the ball with side spin, you can kick it with an open foot, but you can kick it with the toe down, which gets you more power. Where do you follow through? How do you do all these things? So what happened, over this period of time, I started to formulate my own system, which works beautifully now, because I teach kids 
and I've got a system where they can actually do that on both sides of their body. Yep. Now, if you don't have a system that you can teach and for them to go then and practice those skills, then what happens in team-orientated training, they go and train and they do possession and then they do a few skills and then, and then they'll come back the, the next training session. But the previous training session, that kid was making a lot of errors when he was crossing the ball. Yeah. But do you think now that he had time to go and practice his crossing for that particular week and then come back and fix it? No. That's a no-no. We don't do that. We don't have time. It's a results-driven business. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Results-driven business means that you get on with any business and you make sure, like in any company, the finances are right, the the workers are being paid, um, that your protocols and your... um, your KPIs, yeah, yeah. Your KPIs are in place. It's the same in it's the same in football. Now we haven't gone to those lengths. So during my playing career, yeah, sure, I knew how to do certain things. But now, how do I transfer that information onto? That's what I've been doing for the last twenty years. So what I've done is to create a grading system. So I can grade a beginner, a semi-professional, and a professional player. Yeah. And I'll go through all these exercises. And then what I'll do is I'll give you a tangible report. And for all the parents who are listening, they love reports because when their kids go to school, what they want is a report back saying, what is my kid doing math? Oh, he got a D. But why did he get a D? Oh, we better get him a tutor because when we get him a tutor, he'll be one-on-one and then he'll do better. But in football, we'll just keep doing the team things and hope one day that that kid learns how to cross. Hope one day that that kid knows how to kick with both feet. And, and you're absolutely right. Kids and parents will pay when they see a tangible increase in their child's ability. And the whole point of a coach is to get the best out of that child, not not just to coach a system and impose a system on on a kid. The kid needs to be able to develop. And, you know, there's, there's a very good reason why you're not a goalkeeper because you've got a gifted left foot. And, you know... If someone had tried to shoehorn you into a system where you were going to be a goalkeeper, you would have been a complete failure. And I think you look at people like Ron Smith, who is absolutely one of the best coach educators and coaches, um, development coaches around, um, whether it was him or other people, wanted him to coach a club. And, then, and I know when he coached the glory, it wasn't successful because that's not what he's really, really good at. He's really good at, at the coaching and development of players. Um, and not so skilled in the management of players. Um, and it's, they're two different disciplines. And I think, you know, Ron's got some great ideas and he's still very active on the internet. I know because I I've read all the stuff that he puts out. So um, it's interesting what you're saying. And I think you're right. The, the, we imposed a, a Dutch system. We imposed a Belgium system. We imposed... It doesn't matter what we impose on people. The, the game is not about that. Pele didn't have a system on him. He was, there's the ball, Neymar, Neymar um, Messi. They're, they're given a framework which they then work with and develop in their own way. But you're right, if you don't have someone telling you that you've, you've got that wrong or that you do need to be stronger, you need to work back. You're great going forwards, but you, you need to come back and defend a bit. If you're not told that, you won't do it. Mm. Ryan Clough, you're on the money, and if I would, if you were, if you were slightly wrong, I would say with all due respect, after 20, after sorry, after 45 years of being in sport, 
45 years of playing sport, I would say you're slightly wrong, but you're 100% on the money. Because Brian Clough, who was another incredible manager, yep. said systems don't win you matches. No. Players win you and lose you matches. Yep. And, and you look at the coaches like, and I refer to other sports because it's easy for people to understand. Uh, what's his name? Tiger Wood. Yep. He still has a swing coach. And he's the world's ever best golfer. He's won more majors than anyone else, correct? Yep. But still has a spin coach because he can't see himself performing some of the skills. Yeah. So what he does is an expert telling him, no, you've got to tweak it. Everyone's got someone. And if we transfer that information somewhat, right, then you'll see amazing results. And I'll give you one example. I'm doing a... And if you can pass it on, that'd be great. I'm doing an interview with one of my students who's autistic. He has ASD, Autism yep. um, Spectrum Disorder. Yep. And he, he came to me three and a half years ago. And I'm going to interview him tomorrow on my Instagram page. I think it's at 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock. And I'll be talking with his mother and him to inspire kids and give them an, an, an education of how this autistic kid who had no idea how to play football, no idea how to kick. No idea how to do a lot of things. And then everyone you should say to him, you're autistic. You're never going to become a soccer player. You should just go do something else. You're autistic and labelled him. And I said, okay, what am I going to do now? I, don't, I didn't know because I never trained an autistic kid. But I said, you know what? If I have any clout and if I have any any idea of how to coach, it doesn't matter what I get, what student, because I don't handpick him, I should no. be able to make a difference to this kid's life. Absolutely. And so... Yeah. To cut a long story short, we'll be interviewing him tomorrow from eight o'clock. Yeah. And he went on, he went on to play in the NPL and be top goal scorer in his team for two years running. Good on you, mate. Fantastic. Look, I, I think you know, people say it's a disability. It's not the people who who limit. Um, people with a disability are the disabled people. Mm. You, you've, you're an enabler, Con, and I, I love what you're saying. Yeah. Magic um, work. Wish Con. we had more time yeah. to, to go through with you. Um, just thank you for making 98 to 2000 a very happy time for me. Um, you, you're one hell of a player, mate. Yep, you left your mark, Con. You definitely, we, we love you over here. But, but, but thank you, guys, because remember, at the end of the day, I did it for the love, and for me to make the fans happy, whether I was at South Melbourne or Perth, is a very good time for me in my life. Yep. Because if you can contribute to the community and grow as a human being, you are above. Because you can have a lot of money and be unhappy, which mm -hmm. a lot of people are. Yep. But we need to contribute more, and we need to grow more. And I'm uh, please tell everyone to get on tomorrow at eight uh, eight p.m. to listen to this kid speak. Because you'll inspire a lot of people. And as I said, I'm happy to do one free live session on the on, on as a webinar for any club in Perth, right? For yep. one team that they pick a free webinar on skills of football. Marvellous. <laughs> time for the good people to rise in football and you're one of them, Con. Well done. Thank you very much for your time, Con. All right. Take care. Have a good afternoon. All you the too, best. Mate. See yeah. you, Con. Nice talking. See you guys. Bye. Bye. Con Butzianis, philosopher. Seriously, you can talk uh, football for hours on end with that fellow because yeah. he's like he is passionate. He yeah. he he's the, the system doesn't want him because he's just he's too far advanced from the yeah. system.
But he's, he's an altruistic philosopher. I love I him. Love him. Yeah. Good, good value. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, look, great times uh, back in those days. And for anyone who um, was there, you, you just know it was a, a fantastic time to be alive and a glory fan. Yep. The, the memories, it's like, like it was yesterday, Sean. Yep. Don, yeah. thank you very much for today. Just a great time again and stay healthy yep. to all our listeners out there. And, uh, and for all of our positive. servicemen, current yeah. and uh, past, thank you very thank much you for, for your, your service. service. Yep. Um, Penny will be back in the studio next week. This has been the World Football Program. Bags Groove is on next. Um, we'll see you out there on the parks. We'll go there. Join us again next week at the same time for the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM.